All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are plowing through, haven't said that in a while, Lesson 58, Psalm 69. Kind of crazy to think. Now, here's the deal, you guys. Psalm 69 is kind of a big deal. Aside from Psalm 22 and Psalm 110. Now, I know normally like when people are just starting to listen to the message, maybe you're on the radio or maybe you're, you're uh, uh, you know, you're downloading and you're listening to this message through school, whatever the context is, you kind of miss some of it. So here's what I wanted to say again. Aside from Psalm 22 and Psalm 110, this psalm is the third most recited psalm in the New Testament. Now, does that mean it's more important than others? Not necessarily, but it does mean there's something here. Now, we're going to call this Psalm 69. You know, uh, it's a prayer of desperation. I mean, one of the commentators, and I like what Nelson says, is Psalm 22. You guys remember when we were talking about the physical suffering in Psalm 22? It's a messianic psalm. In other words, it's David going through life, describing himself, describing his own situation. But at the same time, it pictures possibly what the Messiah is going to experience as well. So Psalm 22, okay, which we've talked about a couple weeks ago, is, is definitely a description of physical suffering. What you're going to see, though, today in Psalm 69, it's really a, an emotional and spiritual suffering. And all of this, okay, just so you know, is a messianic psalm. And by the end of today's lesson, we're going to look at as many messianic references and psalms that we can in all of the book of Psalms. We're going to try, Kevin, to fill this board as much as we can and see if we can even get through this. Now, remember, when David is writing this, He's writing it a thousand years earlier than when Christ is going to walk this out. So just kind of a bigger picture. Now, here's what I think is crazy. When you say a messianic psalm, David is experiencing this in his own life, but he's prophetically painting a picture for what's going to happen through the Messiah. In Acts 2, verse 30, just as a backdrop, because I think this is this verse always helped me understand uh, prophetic or understanding how, how does how did David know But in Acts 2, verse 30, here you have a description of David. It says, since he, that's David, was a prophet. He knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. That's an awesome picture, isn't it? It's an awesome picture of David. He knew prophetically that God was going to speak through him. And we know that because of 2 Samuel 7, God said, your descendants, your kingdom, your, uh, your eternal throne, your throne is going to last forever. And here he says, he knew that. He knew that God was going to seat one of his descendants, Solomon, and everybody else as it continues to go on all the way till the Messiah. And it's going to be on his throne. So that's where we're going to go today. Now it says, this psalm is written for the choir director. Kevin, you're off the hook. Okay, it's for the choir director, according to the lilies. (laughs) It's the name of a tune. The lilies is name of a tune and it is Davidic, which means, again, David is writing this. Now, four different times, really throughout this psalm, there is this mentality of 
I need you to save me. I need you to save me, God. I need you to show up. And in fact, in verse one, look right away. It says, save me, God, for the water has risen to my neck. So here's this mentality. Again, if you go to verse 14, Kevin, just want to give you a picture of how desperate he's crying out. He says, rescue me from the miry mud. Don't let me sink. So here you have this mentality of save me, deliver me in verse 16 and 17. Uh, there's this, this answer me, there's this hear me, God, for your faithful love is good. And so it's this crying out of, God, I need you to show up. Save me, deliver me, answer me. And then in verse 18, he even says, draw me near, draw near to me and redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. Why is he asking for all these things? Because he's going through some type of suffering and he wants to be set free from it. And so David is walking through, by the way, choir director, I need you to sing this. Can you, can you kind of have a somber tone? It's probably country version, probably. I've sunk in some deep mud. There's no footing, honey. <laughs> I've come into deep waters. And a flood sweeps over me. Like total country. Right. I'm wearing my plaid total country. I'm just, you know, um, I'm weary from crying. <laughs> my throat is parched. All right. You get the point. Like I really could start doing this the whole time. I think I kind of enjoy this. My eyes fail looking for my God. In other words, like it's so bad. I'm literally hoarse from praying. I've cried out so much, I can't even talk. I'm losing my eyesight. I don't know if it's crying or if it's like he's literally losing his eyesight. But either way, it is not looking good. And so there's this description of like his current situation that he begins to describe. And then he goes on to verse four in MacArthur. John MacArthur says, OK, now he's going to give the reason for why he's all, all of this. Why is he talking about all this suffering? Why is he talking about, you know, he can't even talk anymore? Because in verse four, it says those who hate me without cause... What does that imply already, Kevin? What's what's the psalmist already saying just on that verse alone? He's just saying they just because of who I am, they don't like me. I, I'm innocent just because like there, there's no reason for this. Can you go to John 15, verse 25? John 15, verse 25. It's kind of a cool picture. Uh, Jesus says the same thing. But this happens so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. Wait, they hated me for no reason. Jesus quotes David in Psalm 69 so that this could be fulfilled. What an awesome picture. What a powerful picture. And oh, by the way, they don't, they don't like me. They hate me. And there's no legit reason. If you want to go to verse five now, Psalm 69, God, you know my foolishness and my guilty acts are not hidden from me. In other words, I, there's, I'm like Job in some sense. There's nothing here. I'm not hiding anything. In verse six, don't let those who put their hope in you be disgraced because of me. Lord God of hosts, do not let those who seek you be humiliated because of me, God of Israel. It's a weird mentality, but I like what um, uh, John MacArthur says. The psalmist fears that his dismal situation may actually serve as a stumbling block to other believers. Like, don't let me, because I'm being accused of these things, serve as a stumbling block for somebody else. It's kind of a cool picture. He says in verse seven, for I've endured insults because of you and a shame has covered, has covered my face. I become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. I mean, 
You guys, the, 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 the psalmist's family, right here, David is even saying, like, I don't even, my family doesn't even know me anymore. Is this a fair statement? Jesus had to experience this as well. Kevin, if you would, you go to Matthew 12, verse 46, 46 through 50. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. Again, here's just a couple pictures. While he was speaking to the crowds, when suddenly his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Verse 47, it says, somebody told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But he replied, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. In verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, you have to start finding a new identity, your new family. It doesn't mean disown them, but you can expect that it could happen. In fact, this happens a lot. In John 7, Kevin, if you go there, verse 3 through 5. John 7, verses 3 through 5. Again, just the same picture. I think this is cool. So his brothers said to him, so Jesus' brothers said, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything. uh, Let me go to verse 5 for a second, will you? Yeah, okay, go to verse 4 again. It says this. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then in verse 5, it says in Scripture, For not even his brothers believed in him. Here you have the Messiah of the world and his brothers at that time did not even believe in him. And if you go back to Psalm 69, verse 8, again, another reference to the Messianic. Uh, Psalm, I've become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. And here's why. Here, here's why I've become so foreign. And it, it builds the case because in verse 9, here's why the family doesn't get them. Because zeal and passion for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Okay, this is kind of a, a fun picture, but let's try to tie all of this together. David's zeal and David's passion would have been what? What's the house? Oh, to build the house, the house for the Lord, the temple. That's right. To build the house. And, and some might even say, David, that's a little extravagant. David, what? why would you want to do that? Hey, if you build this, I like what Constable says. Some people might even been bad that if he, uh, mad if he builds this, they'd be like, dude, I'm not paying more taxes. I don't want to pay more. So like there could be all kinds of reasons why they didn't like David's building project. But David was utterly consumed with this. Is that true? He was so consumed with this, like it just, it kind of just, it filled him up with this to the point where his family probably got, uh, and I like this, he received hatred and hostility because of his devotion to the Lord. Kind of a, a radical picture here. And I don't have this text here for some reason, but I do want to say this. Jesus has this same mentality. Uh, think about this. When, when was Jesus consumed with the house? John 2.17. Yeah, let's go there. If you would. Thanks. John 2, 17. Here it is. It says, And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Rich, what's the context of this? The context is when he goes in and he drives out the money changers. Right. He's irate that what? In verse 16, they're, they're taking the father's house, the temple, and they're turning it into a marketplace. And so he becomes so upset, verse 17 comes to fruition and says, his disciples remembered what it is written. Isn't that weird though? Like they recalled what the Messiah was living out based on their knowledge of Psalm 69, verse 9. That to me is how the Holy Spirit can speak to us, you guys. 
Like people are like, I don't hear from God or I don't act out on, on what God's telling me to do. Can I just propose? It's probably because, and this might not be the case for any of you at Revive School. <laughs> Hopefully not. But the reality is that some of us aren't in the word. And when we're not in the word, the spirit of God wants to speak to us. But there's nothing there like in the sense of truth to come out. But these disciples realize what Jesus is doing because of David's prophetic words in Psalm 69, 9. That to me, a thousand years earlier, is ridiculously cool. Isn't that awesome? Like Jesus is upturning all of these tables and they're like, oh yeah, David talked about this. <laughs> yeah. Can you go to Romans 15 verse 3 for me, please? Uh, in Romans 15, 3, look at this. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So here you have in Psalm 69, 9, two verses. I mean, John 2, 17 and Romans 15, 3. Both of these are referencing Psalm 69. I mean, to me, I love how it all fits together. And oh, by the way, as you live out your faith for the Messiah and the insults come, just remember Romans 15, 3. Just remember Psalm 69, 9. The insults are falling on him, not on us. It's a pretty cool picture. Verse 10, it says this back in Psalm 69. I mourned and fasted, but it brought me insults. I wore sackcloth as my clothing and I was a joke to them. Like, hey, nice outfit. Like, I mean, people are mocking him for his relationship, for his devotion to the Lord. Even when he was in a period of mourning, he became a joke to them. Those who sit at the city gate, those that are right, the highest in society mentality, those that are of government officials, they talk about David. They talk about me and drunkards make up songs about me. There's the, there's the cancer songs. <laughs> it's so weird. Should I make up one? No. Okay. I actually had one. Verse 13. That's okay. But as for me, Lord, my prayer to you is for a time of favor. In your abundant faithful love, God, answer me with your sure salvation. Scripture continues on in verse 14. Rescue me from the miry mud. Don't let me sink. Remember, here's that language of crying out. Don't let me sink. Let me be rescued from those who hate me. I'm telling you, I, this could go radio charts, you guys. Worst radio charts. And from the deep waters, verse 15, don't let the floodwaters sweep over me or the deep swallow me up. Don't let the pit close its mouth over me. In other words, like I know that death is close, but don't let it swallow me. And answer me, Lord, for your faithful love is good in keeping with your great compassion. Turn to me. Don't hide your face from your servant, for I'm in distress. Answer me quickly. Like I can't keep this pace. Draw near to me and redeem me. Ransom me because of my my enemies, you know, the insults I endure, my shame and disgrace. You are aware of all of my adversaries. You, you know, everything, you know, in the context of like, even when, when the Israelites were getting ready to go into the land and Joshua, right? When it talks about this, he knows that the, uh, you know, the, the Hittites are going to be there. He knows that the, the Jebusites are going to be there. You're aware of everybody already. In verse 20 scripture says insults have broken my heart. <laughs> you it's just like a pure... This sounds like a song. I got myself a broken heart. 
it's almost like I really want to try to sing or I really don't want to sing. And I'm like in this middle stage of like just really bad. <laughs> and I'm in despair. I waited for sympathy. This is actually a really important psalm, you guys. I waited for sympathy, but there was none for comforters, but found no one. Like, I don't, I don't know who to turn to. Again, this is that image of, if you go to Matthew 26, verse 37. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. This is kind of a cool picture here. Uh, Psalm 69, 20 paints a picture of this of Matthew 26, verse 37. Now look at this, right? Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. In verse 38, he said to them, my soul, my, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Now what does he do in verse 39, right? He goes, he goes in a little farther. He falls face, face down. He prays, my father, if it's possible, he, he cries out. Okay, he's crying out, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then look in verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. So what's the deal, guys? Like, I, I just want a little bit of a comfort and you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour. And so in a weird way, it's like David goes through this and Jesus goes through this. He couldn't find anybody. And in verse 21, look what the scripture says. Instead, here it is again, an incredible messianic reference. So really you have multiple verses, eight and nine, but now for sure you're getting it into 21. Instead, they gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. Now gall, G-A-L-L, a poisonous herb, okay? Uh, some would even say at that time, maybe a metaphor for betrayal, friends who uh, really just turned against, people who turned against him. But the point is, uh, gall in, in vinegar was actually offered to Christ while on the cross. If you go to Matthew 27, verse uh, 34. Again, just a picture of what David is talking about. Uh, and it says, as Jesus is up on the cross, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Just kind of like this little, and then, no thanks. It's this picture, you guys, of... Psalm 69, 21, David somehow experiencing this. And that's why they say maybe it's a metaphor, maybe it's for real, but either way it points to the Messiah. Verse 22, let their table set before them be a snare and let it be a trap for their allies. <laughs> In other words, we'll all be flipped like uh, uh, Haman, right? Remember Haman set up those, uh, the, are they called gallows? gallows and intended for uh, Mordecai and then Haman ended up dying himself on that like let let their own trap be their own demise it says in verse 23 let their eyes grow too dim to see and let their loins continually shake that's a weird phrase by the way like you want to act that out rich nope (laughs) there's no song that goes with that either no there's actually not verse 24 uh, pour out your rage on them. These are the people, Lord. Pour out your rage on the enemies. Let your burning anger overtake them. Make their fortification desolate. May no one live in their tents. If you go to Acts one twenty again, just want to simply tie in some of the words of the Davidic Psalm to the New Testament. And look at this in Acts one twenty. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. Okay. Who are we talking about here? Any thoughts, guys? One of the disciples? Judas. Judas. And so here you have, okay, think about this, you guys. 
David going through something, and then he talks about like somebody who's going to betray him, somebody who's going to turn against him, somebody who's going to be an enemy and come against them. And then, by the way, these people who turn against me, I'm going to ask that you make their fortification desolate and let nobody live in their tents. So now if this is a foreshadow of the Messiah, all of a sudden the disciples, yes, they are here. And look, they're talking about Judas and they're saying, let his dwelling become desolate. No one live in it. And then look, let someone else take his position. So what are they saying prophetically? Let's fulfill the role of Judas now for another disciple. And crazy, crazy enough, you guys, Psalm 69 talks about it. I think it's, you know, different things as you pointed out going through here. You think about the time span that went by between when David wrote this and when the whoever wrote the particular accounts of Christ. Like, even the vinegar and the gall. Like, you had to know these scriptures to make sure you had a point to write that down. I mean, look in verse 26 of Psalm 69. It just, it gets more and more prophetic. For they persecute the one you struck and talk about the pain of those you wounded. I mean, the suffering of the Messiah was truly part of God's plan. If you go to Isaiah 53.10, major prophet Isaiah even talks about this. Scripture says this, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. You don't have to even go on. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's will be accomplished. It all fits together. That's the part that blows my mind about Revive School. When we intended to study all 66 books, it was originally, you guys remember this, we we wanted to take a puzzle. (laughs) Right? We wanted to take a puzzle and we wanted to see how does that piece of puzzle fit with that puzzle. And then we wanted to see all 66, all 66 books. How does all of it fit together? Well, the whole point of all of this, right, was that every book of the Bible, okay, eventually, okay, I know it didn't do it like this, but every book of the Bible eventually, as you put all of the pieces together, okay, they were actually going to point very clearly to one thing, to the Messiah. But you had to put all 66 together to to paint this accurate picture of like, do we really see how the prophets and the law actually point to, yes, the gospels, do they point to the Messiah? And I think for me, when you read in Isaiah 53, when you read in Psalm 69, the Lord was actually pleased to do this. And then Jesus actually walks out the fulfillment. That to me is why we're studying scripture. That to me is why we, we uh, we don't just read Mark, but we read Psalms. We don't just read Matthew, but we read Job in Job 19 about the hope and my promised redeemer. Like it all fits together. It's just, it's mind blowing to me how big God is. And Kevin, you're talking about there's a thousand year time period about this guy writing something down that he's experiencing. And oh, by the way, it describes the Messiah. <laughs> and oh, by the way, somebody's going to prophetically give a word over David. Says, hey, by the way, your descendants are going to last forever. That guy is talking about this, which now we're talking about in Psalm 69. And oh, by the way, David just got plucked from the sheepfold. He's going to get a word and and because he's taking care of bears, like all of this is a preparation for the Messiah. That is crazy, you guys. And in verse 27 of Psalm 69, add guilt to their guilt. Do not let them share in your righteousness. Verse 28, let them be erased. <laughs> 
from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous. I mean, David's like, dude, I'm sick of these people. Sounds kind of drastic, but I promise you every once in a while, you've gotten mad at the car that's cut in front of you. Maybe not saying erase them from the book of life, <laughs> but, but David goes there. Cut their life short is another way of looking at what he says here. Now, there is a, I want to just say this, this might add a little confusion to the whole dialogue, but ah, why not? Some say, Wearsby even says this as well, that possibly David's words end at the end of Psalm uh, 29, where it says, but as for me, poor and in pain, let your salvation protect me, God. Some say, again, I don't know how to prove this, but in verses 30 through 36, a prophet, possibly Jeremiah, could have come in and then actually described the fall of Judah and Jerusalem to Babylon. Like the, th- the things that fall after in 30 through 36, there is a thought here of how, how does David know this? You know how you get some of that timing? The only thing I could say is if, if David knew all of these verses right now, I think it's okay that he might describe a couple more verses. Does that make sense? He's serving as a prophet, so why in the world wouldn't he? I just want to just bring out some of these studies that people have. Absolutely. Acts 2, we talked about this. He serves as a prophet. But again, uh, I don't always understand how it all came together. That's part of the argument for people outside that, that aren't believers. But when you walk by faith, you have to understand that this is alive and active. In verse 30, he says, I will praise God's name with a song and exalt him with thanksgiving that will please Yahweh more than an ox, (laughs) more than a bull with horns and hooves. The humble will see it again and rejoice. You who seek God, take heart. Verse 33, for the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. See, this is, do you see where we're going here? We're talking about the captives. We're talking about God's going to now save Zion. He's going to build up the cities of Judah. They will live there and possess it. Like, uh, the only thing I can say is, is that if we run with the theme that it's David the whole time, then this works. Here's why. If, if we run with this theme, and I like what, I like what Wearsby says about this, is that David actually saw a day coming. Right. That when the Lord would actually uh, would uh, there's going to be another day coming when the land is actually going to be united. The land is going to actually experience healing and the cities are going to actually be populated again. I mean, think about this, you guys. There's going to be a time coming when the Messiah comes. Amen. And when he comes, there's a possibility that he's talking about. Yes. um, Why we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122. There is a time. Yes. Even that we have this mentality that Jesus is ultimately, or the Messiah is ultimately coming back. And he might even prophetically be talking about that picture. Again, you could take the view and the angle of the prophet describing maybe uh, the the Jewish coming out of the exile, coming out of uh, captivity and entering into a new place, possibly. Or David could be saying, now there's another time when the Messiah comes once he's gone through all of this suffering. Either or, it all points to him. Either or, it all points to this is a messianic psalm. You know what's crazy? I didn't even get to my list today. Well, that's not good. Just kidding. Here's what I want to say is I have 20 references, 20, 20 of messianic psalms in the book of Psalms. And all I want to do is just reiterate you guys in Psalm 69. 
Psalm 69 is pretty clear when you go to verse 8, Kevin. Psalm 69, verse 8. Here you have this description. I've become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. Hang on, don't go there. Why? Why was David, why was the Messiah a foreigner and alien even to his own people? Because his passion for the Lord. Because his passions for the presence of God. And that's exactly what it says in verse 9. Because zeal for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Can I just tell you this as we close out? For me, this is real. That the more you become consumed and passionate for the presence and to be with the presence and be in the presence of God, more and more people are going to think you're just weird. More and more people are going to actually disown you. And more and more people are going to actually hurl insults at you and say, what has happened to that guy? I actually think you're in good company. That because of your passion for his presence, for your passion to be with the Lord, if people think you're off the rocker, you're looking a little bit more like David. And you're looking a whole lot more like Christ. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.